You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guests and hear their story. Jordan, welcome to Real Faith Stories. Man, it is so good to have you on the program today. Brian, thanks for having me. I love what you're doing in the faith community. And just want to ask this up front. It says in your bio that you help Christians respond to the radical biblical truth that their work matters for eternity. And I've always felt that way, but explain why that's your passion, Jordan. Why am I passionate about this? Because many Christians are implicitly, and many honestly, are explicitly being told that's not the case. I grew up in the church. I went to a Christian school for 13 years. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you had asked me upon graduation, Jordan, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm pretty sure I would have said the gospel is the good news that Jesus came to save me from my sins. And while that is, of course, true, it is only a partial truth. And it's actually an incredibly individualistic, incredibly truncated view of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to make all things new, including people, but also including economies in the material world and culture. And when we understand that, it gives incredible weight and significance and, yes, eternal purpose to the work most of us are spending 40, 50 hours a week doing as entrepreneurs, even when we're not explicitly sharing the gospel. Now, I'm all about that. I think entrepreneurs are uniquely positioned to make disciples in an explicit way. But to say that that's the only way that our work matters for eternity is just frankly unbiblical. And so I want to help believers in a really accessible way, mind the depth and the breadth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it means for the work we all do to help cultivate the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Before I hit record, I was asking you, what was one of the big transitional moments in your life? Please share that with the audience. Yeah, so quick background on me. I spent the first 10 years of my career as a tech entrepreneur. And for the first half of that, I had no idea how my work mattered to God. Yes, I was a Christian, but my entrepreneurship and my work was just very separate from that. And so again, about five years in, I was in the process of selling my second company, trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And when you sell two businesses, Brian, the, the natural thing is to just start a third, right? So <laughs> that was the plan. But for a hot minute there, my wife and I were also seriously thinking about planning a church. Why? Because frankly, I felt guilty. How dare I you know, want to go start another business when there is a need for people to move to mud huts 5,000 miles away from home to quote unquote, go and make disciples. And so I was considering these two paths, start a business, plan a church. And by the grace of God alone, I, I had a, a godly mentor in my life, pull me aside. And he said, Hey, um, Jordan, I hear you're thinking about planning a church. And I'm expecting this guy to like pat me on the back, maybe write me a check and he just looked at me and he's like, yeah, that just sounds really dumb to me. Wait a minute. It sounds like a really bad <laughs> wait, wait. He literally said that? that? I love mentors that speak the truth from their heart. Oh my gosh. I'm so thankful that God used this guy. And he, you know, this guy led Bible studies at our church. I was just shocked. And he's like, Jordan, here's the deal. You're clearly a gifted entrepreneur. 
you, I've seen you do the work. You are feeling God's pleasure and you're, as you're doing this work. Why do you think you have to go plant a church in order to quote unquote do ministry? Don't you get that your work as an entrepreneur is ministry? And Brian, I looked at this guy like he had three heads. I had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> but then he encouraged me. He's like, hey, go read your Bible anew. Don't just stay confined to the Gospels. Don't just stay confined to the Psalms. Read it from front to back and tell me what you find. And what I found, Brian, changed my life in some pretty radical ways. So spoiler alert, I didn't go plant a church. I ran another business. Mm -hmm. uh, the irony is now I'm basically a quote-unquote pastor, right? I'm creating this content full-time. But what I found was that right there in Genesis 1, before God tells us that he is holy, before he tells us that he is loving or omnipotent or just, he tells us that he is a God who creates, who makes things, who's productive, who works. And oh, by the way, this is totally unique in the history of world religions. Every other religion says that the gods created human beings to work and serve the gods. Only Christianity starts with a God who works to serve others. That's radical, and yeah. that's the work of an entrepreneur, I would argue. So right there on the first pages of our Bible, man, we see God giving the most glorified entrance of work and definition of work in the history of the world, giving great dignity and purpose to the work all of us are doing today. Incredible. So when you had that conversation and he told you what he told you, what was your next step? Yeah. So a couple of next steps. Number one, I literally just started reading the Bible. And number two, he gave me a copy of Tim Keller's extraordinary book, um, Every Good Endeavor. Hmm. And I devoured it. If you haven't read the book, it, it's basically a baseline overview of what God's word has to say about work and our role in the world and in contributing to his mission. That book just radically changed my perspective. So, But after I read that, I still had a lot of specific questions about how my work as an entrepreneur specifically mattered to God and was a means of advancing the, the kingdom. And so I just went out, Brian, and I just interviewed a ton of people, a ton of Christian entrepreneurs who were thinking about this stuff. I went back and I did research on some of the great Christian founders and creators of all time, like Arthur Guinness of the Guinness Brewing Company and C.S. Lewis, I, I would argue authors are, are founders in a way. So I was, I was studying Lewis and how he thought about his work and Tolkien and the notes I collected through all that research and all those interviews. Eventually, I realized this is a book. And so I, I wrote this book called Called to Create, which is almost five years old now. And it just took off and hit a bunch of the national bestseller lists. And I was like, okay, there's something there's something here, yeah. right? And so the book's taken off. At the same time, I'm running a very well-funded tech startup that's growing, you know, some quarters, 50%, quarter over quarter. Wow. I, so I had these two great things. And eventually I just came to the point where I was like, I got to put all my eggs in one of these baskets. And so the path I chose was, yeah, creating more of this content. And so I've been doing that now full-time for three years. Again, just creating books and podcasts and now children's books and a bunch of other content that helps Christians respond to this, I would argue, radical. It's radical, yet biblical truth that what we do 50 hours a week matters deeply for eternity. I love hearing this because I don't think there's enough voices saying this. Well, I'll say this. There's a lot of voices, but in my experience, it's usually pastors writing a book 
on the topic and moving on to the next topic, which is what they should do, right? They're pastors. I, I, I thought about this for my career. I was like, all right, you know what? If Tim Keller only wrote and preached about work for 50 years, that's what I want the next 50 years of my life to look like. And not just books, right? It's why we're doing this children's book. Not everyone reads full-length nonfiction books. Not everyone listens to podcasts. Right. So we got three podcasts right now. We got a bunch of nonfiction books. We got this children's book. We're in negotiations with Netflix on a series to communicate these truths. So if we're really going to help Christ followers all over the planet discover what God's word says about their work, we just got to really be creative and innovative with the format. Well, speaking of creative, what do you typically do when it comes to brainstorming and getting these ideas? Yeah, I don't do a lot of brain. I don't do any brainstorming. To, to be like, to be frank, I, I read a lot and I'm really good about collecting ideas as I read. Pro tip, if you're really interested in retaining what you read, read on Kindle and go buy this really cheap app called Readwise that will automatically take all your highlights and notes and dump them into Evernote for you. So I don't just read a book, Brian. I study a book. I read mm. it, I make my highlights, and then I work with my highlights. Let's say I spend eight hours reading a book, six hours, whatever. I probably spend an hour to three hours after I read it working with it reading my notes, understanding it, rearticulating my notes. And so because of that, I don't I don't usually have to sit down with a blank page of brainstorm, right? Brainstorming kind of as I go along, I'm making creative connections as I go along and working with the content from other people. So yeah, I don't really brainstorm. That that's kind of the process. Like I'm writing my next adult nonfiction book right now. And in a way I've been researching it for three years. And I've got notes from books for three, four years that I'm going to be using for this project. Yeah, makes total sense. Instead of sitting down and trying to do it all in one fell swoop in a brainstorming session, this is an ongoing process. Like you said, you've been doing this for three years, this particular book. I quote unquote write every day, right? But it's not right, right? That's not, that's not how it works, yeah. Well, going back to your first book, Called to create. What were some of the key points that resonated with your readers that you kept hearing over and over again? Yeah, that's a really good question. The key point is the point that I'm now packaging up for kids. We're releasing this children's book right now called The Creator in You, which is basically called to create in 387 words, right? Like, and the core idea is God creates the first thing. He wanted us to know about him, but he didn't finish creation on the sixth day, right? You know, before we had the Great Commission, the first commission to you and me, to humankind, was to create. Why? Because we're his image bearers, right? Mm. And up until, you know, we, we, we love quoting image bearing, right? Which comes from Genesis 1, uh, 26 through 28. Or God says that he makes us in his image. Here's the deal. Up until verse 26 of Genesis 1, we only know one thing about the image of God. And it's a, he's creative. So naturally it follows that that will be a central hallmark of the human experience that we would create in his image. So that was the big idea, honestly. Very simple idea, very ancient idea. Uh, but an idea that frankly the church hasn't been preaching quite a while. And I think what really resonated with, with readers was just rediscovering that truth and what it means practically for our work today. Because there's a lot of practical ramifications 
when you understand that first and foremost, God shows up on the scene as a creator God. Now, I don't have to justify my creative activity so long as they're in line with God's word, right? And, and leading to human flourishing. I don't have to justify my creative work as an entrepreneur or an artist or a novelist with some overtly spiritual, overtly evangelistic means, yeah. right? Yep. Creating in and of itself is good because creating is God-like, yeah. right? Like that's a really big idea. For, pe- for adults to latch on to, much less kids. But the reason why I wrote this kid's book is because I want my kids to see this now when they're seven and five and two. I don't want them to have to wait until they're 27 like I was when I first heard of these truths. What do you say to people that immediately their knee-jerk response to this is, I'm not creative at all? Yeah, listen, I- I'll say a couple things. Number one, that's a lie if you believe that human beings are made in the image of God. God's creative, thus every human being is creative to some degree. That said, clearly some people are endowed with greater doses of creativity than others. Hmm. Exodus 31, there's this little-known character named Bezalel. Yes. He's the only person in Scripture, sorry, in the Old Testament, that scripture says is filled with the spirit of God. And who is Bezalel? He was a creator. He was a craftsman, artisan, right? Bezalel had more creativity than you and I do, but all of us are created because we're created in the image of a creator God. We are not creation optional beings. It's just not in the cards. I love that. We're not creation optional. I got to give credit. I was going to come back and give credit. So I think it was from Jen Wilkin. I know it was from Jen Wilkin, one of my favorite Bible teachers. I think it was in her book, None Like Him. She has this great section on God's creative nature. And I think the direct quote is something like, we are not creation optional beings. But the point is the same. It's God creates, he created us to create. Thus, creativity is embedded at least at some level in each of his image bearers. You know, as you're sharing this, I'm thinking of the first few years of the company that I helped a friend start. I was doing a lot of driving, a lot of cold calling, and I had countless times, I had this picture in my mind of flying like an eagle, but feeling Mm -hmm. like all I could do was run on the ground. So to me, as you're sharing this, it speaks to the spark, the giftedness we have inside of us that says in whispers, you can soar, you can soar, you can create, you know, what are your thoughts on that? It reminds me of something I've been thinking a lot about lately that like the Christian life, frankly, looks really lame to the outside world because I think a lot of Christians are take this mentality. They'll never say it explicitly, but like, we're just waiting around for Jesus to come back And so we're just going to sit here and consume and wait and maybe share the gospel with a few of our neighbors. But look at Genesis 1. From the beginning, we have been called to not just consume the epic in superhero movies ad nauseum, but to create into the epic, right? To take the garden and cultivate it into the eternal city of God. That That was the call. Fill and subdue the earth. This is regal language that God gave to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1. I was reading the other day, this is fascinating to me. In Genesis 2, there's this little detail we rarely preach about. It says that there was gold under the earth, 
near the Garden of Eden. That's a weird detail, right? Yeah. And then you get to Revelation 21, 22, the other bookend of scripture. And what do we see? We see refined gold being used to make the eternal city of God. And this commentator was saying the ingredients were there all along, right? The call of human beings from the beginning was to create the eternal kingdom of God, was to help build for the eternal kingdom of God. And I would argue Jesus dramatically reaffirmed this during his ministry on earth. Yes, sin has made work difficult, but work is still eternally significant. You know, when he talks about how the kingdom would come, he said, hey, it's not going to come in one fell swoop, right? It's going to come slowly like yeast working its way through a bunch of dough like a mustard seed. He even used this gardening language. He said that he was the gardener scattering seeds of the kingdom. That's you and me. And what do seeds do? They grow slowly. They grow gradually over time to cultivate the kingdom of God. I think so many Christians are sitting here right now, Brian, thinking, well, man, this world's going uh, to hell in a handbasket, and we're just going to sit around and just pray that Jesus comes quickly. Yeah, in some ways, I'm joining you in that prayer. But at the same time, Jesus told us to roll up our sleeves and get to work and feed the poor and care for refugees and heal the sick and fix injustices in this world. In other words, to cultivate and garden for the eternal kingdom of God today, right now, in the present. Right on. Well, let's pivot to your book coming out, The Creator in You. You talked early on in our discussion here about the sixth day of Genesis 1 was not the end of creation, but the beginning. Yeah. Please explain that and why that's so important for the, our children to know this. Oh, man. So, I, I mentioned briefly before, I got three young kids, three daughters, and I can't tell you how many books I've read them on the creation count, account of Genesis 1. And they all follow the exact same pattern, right? Day one, God created this. Day two, he created that. Day three, four, five, six, the end. And I always close these books a little annoyed because we're bearing the lead in a lot of ways of Genesis 1. The sixth day was not the end of creation. Look what God created. He basically created a blank canvas. Yeah, there were stars, but nobody had made a telescope yet to study the stars and stand in awe of God's glory, right? He created rivers, but he didn't create bridges and, and means of harnessing those rivers for agriculture, right? Yeah. He said, fill and subdue this earth. Take these raw materials, humankind, that I gave you and fill this world. Day six wasn't the end of creation. It was the beginning. And I wanted a book that was radically different in this Genesis 1 genre that made this absolutely indisputably clear. So that's why I wrote The Creator and You, which is essentially – it's basically a three-act play in three minutes is kind of how I think about it, right? Mm -hmm. Act 1, you see God creating in those first six days like every other book on, on Genesis 1. But then you quickly get to Act 2, and here, here's what it says. It says to the kid, hey, and now you might think that our story is ending because every other book you've ever read about this says that. But in fact, this is just the beginning. God made you to look like him, to act and work and create with him. Because while in six days God created a lot, there are so many things that he simply did not. Like bridges and baseballs, sandcastles and s'mores. God asked us to create and fill the planet with more. 
So that's act two. And then you get to act three, and it's just this beautiful montage created by our brilliant illustrator on this project, watching the kids fill the earth with art and businesses, lemonade stands basically, right? Yeah. With tree forts and spaceships and culture. All throughout scripture, starting here in Genesis when we see that God has always wanted to work in this world through faithful human beings. And I want my kids and the kids in the lives of your listeners to see this early on because I think when they do, they're going to view their current and future work with unparalleled God-ordained purpose. I have eight children, four boys, four girls. One of the greatest challenges right now, I believe, in this world is consuming less and being able to create more. Yeah. What's your advice to a parent or even an adult who's struggling with this? I'm consuming. I can't get my eyes off this. I need space. How do you get the kids? How do you get the adults to stop consuming as much and creating more? I mean, honestly, I think a lot of this is rooted really deeply in theology. If we believe the purpose of the Christian life is to just sit and pray that Jesus comes back, we're not going to have a whole lot of motivation to create, right? Like, I, yeah. I, I just I just don't see a theological foundation for that. So I really believe that seeing this call to create, seeing that before the Great Commission, there was the first commission to fill the earth with things that point to God's glory is critical. So that's number one. I'll give you I'll give you a couple of others. Number number two, I think we gotta obviously we gotta limit screen time if we want our kids to consume less and create more. But I think there's a type of screen time that we should welcome into our homes. Screen time that leads to creativity. There are some like world class YouTube channels. One's called Art for Kids Hub. There's another that my kids love called Babble Dabble Do, and it just it it they love them because oh my gosh I get to watch TV right? Our kids are TV addicts, but it's TV that's teaching them to create things. And I found that in our home, it's led our kids to choose creation over consumption more times than not. Mm -hmm. Here's the last tip I would give. We got to let our kids be bored. When I see my kids lounging around the house, my first instinct is to suggest something for them to do. But I'm really learning to resist that urge because according to every psychologist I've ever read, unstructured time helps our kids develop skills, develop creative ideas, develop self, self-esteem. So I'm learning that before I prescribe a solution to my kids' boredom, just let them be bored and see what they come up with on their own. How does that relate to an adult who says they're bored? Honestly, don't know a lot of adults who say that they're bored because they're constantly consuming, right? Like I, I think adults need more boredom. I think the risk for adults is eradicating boredom uh, and losing the ability to be bored. I mean, going to any Starbucks, people can't handle standing in line for five minutes being bored. So they're entertaining themselves on their phone, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just like, I'm not like a smartphone hater. Like I love my iPhone, but I, I think we got to recognize that we are living in what C.S. Lewis called the kingdom of noise. And we've got to put practices in place to dissent from that kingdom of noise on a regular basis so that we could be bored. So that we can think clearly so that we can be creative. And honestly, most importantly, so that we can listen to the voice of God. Because so many of us have constant inputs. We are drowning out 
the one input we most desperately need, which is listening to the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit is leading us to move and act in this world. So, so true. You're probably familiar with the work of Dan Sullivan, uh, consultant to consultants. He said yep. that we should have free days and focus days. And it's astonishing to me if you try that. And I'd love your opinion on this, Jordan. I know you create a lot of stuff and you've got a lot of systems in place. But what about free time, about scheduling free time? Is that something that you partake in is actually scheduling blocks of free time? What does that look like? I'll say this. I have really bright lines on my calendar around when I do and do not work, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, I work roughly 40 hours a week and I'm never working on the weekends, whatever. And I do find that a lot of my most creative ideas are happening on the weekends, right? When I'm away from my desk. But during the work week, yeah, I'm pretty focused. I'm pretty heads down. I'm not one of those creatives that waits for inspiration to strike. Every day from 7.45 to 9.45 a.m., you're going to find me at my desk working on the next book, right? Like, it's just, that's the only way I know how to do it. I know other people have found other modes that work, and that's great for them. But this is what's working for me and what's enabling me to, you know, create five-star content, not just content, but five-star content at a pretty, I think, a pretty rapid pace. Yeah, well, definitely. When people come to you seeking advice about being creative, we've touched on this, but I, is there anything that you tend to dispense in terms of consistent counsel? It's a good question. I, I think the lie that I'm combating the most today in, in conversations with people is that the creative work itself doesn't matter to God. It's a means to an end, right? I think a lot of people believe this lie. Like, yeah, business matters because I can use it to share the gospel with my employees. Or, you know, my creative work as a novelist matters because I could generate a lot of profit and donate it to people doing quote unquote real ministry in the world. And yeah, I'm just not buying it. One of my favorite passages of scripture is Isaiah 60. It's Isaiah's prophetic vision of the new Jerusalem. What's beautiful about this passage, other than, of course, the glory of God just shining at the center of the city, is that all of the nations are coming back into a single city, the New Jerusalem, but they're not coming empty-handed. They are bringing works of culture, physical works of culture. They're bringing the ships of the nation of Tarshish. They're bringing refined gold and frankincense. They're bringing agricultural products. And then, of course, when we look at the New Jerusalem itself, it is an act of culture. There are gems lining the foundation of the New Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. These aren't raw rocks. They've been refined into gems and precious stones, right? If all of these acts of culture are going to be redeemed by our Redeemer and are going to last into eternity, doesn't that mean that the work in and of itself matters to God? Doesn't it mean that when we just go to work and do our work with excellence and love and in accordance with the Lord's commands, that brings him pleasure so much so that he's going to allow some of it to physically pass into eternity? And again, don't hear me wrong. I pray deeply that we would use our creative work as a means of entry of sharing the gospel, but to think that the work itself doesn't matter to God, I, I believe it's just an unbiblical lie. So I, I'm trying to help 
people see that. And when they do, man, it just gets them so much more fired up for the work that they do, just seeing so much more purpose in the work itself. What have you found to be the the greatest way to shift someone's mindset from not creative, my work doesn't really matter that way to the aha of, oh my goodness, I cannot yeah. wait for this next day. Yeah. If the issue is, man, I'm not creative yet, just go read Genesis 1. Seriously, take you five minutes. <laughs> go read Genesis 1, see the creative character of God, and don't miss the ending. He passed the baton to us, to humankind, and said, go create like me. And oh, by the way, I think a lot of people say, well, yeah, he asked Adam and Eve to work, but the sin has broken everything and work doesn't matter anymore. You turn your Bibles to Genesis 9, after the flood, so God's like, we're going to start this world over, floods the earth, and his command to Noah is almost identical to the command he gave to Adam and Eve. After they got off the boat, he said, hey, Noah, fill and subdue this earth. And what does Noah do in response? He plants a vineyard. Plants a vineyard. That is an act of creation. God has never renounced his claim that work and creating is good. And is a means of living out the commission that he's given us to fill and subdue the earth. How can people get in touch with you, find out more about your new book? Yeah. So again, the book's called The Creator in You. Uh, you can buy it wherever books are sold, obviously. If you go to my website, jordanrainer.com, that's J-O-R-D-A-N-R-A-Y-N-O-R.com, fill out a form with your address and your kids' names, and I'm going to send them a handwritten sticker, this beautiful dedication sticker. So it'll say, to Jackson, to Emily, may you always abound in the creativity. I'm going to sign my name. And if your kids are like my kids, the two things they love most on earth are getting physical mail and stickers. So we're checking both of those boxes here. <laughs> uh, so go to jordanrayer.com and you can get this right now. Perfect. Any final thoughts as we finish up before you pray for our listeners? Yeah, I, I would just share the last line of the book because honestly, um, we wrote this book as much for you as for your kids. Because <laughs> frankly, I, I think there are very few adults in this world that have really deeply latched onto these truths. So here's what I would say. Here's the last line of the book. Because when you work or you make something new, you're doing what God has made you to do. You're showing the world what your father is like, a God who creates to bring people to light. And when you show others the creator in you, you bring joy to the world and to your father too. Jordan, would you please pray for our listeners here as we finish up? Absolutely. I'd be happy to. Father God, this world's a mess. But you've promised that you are king and are presently reigning over this world. And you're going to fix what's broken in this world in large part through us, through us going to work and restoring creation to its original design, God. God, I pray that you would instill a holy sense of purpose in the hearts of everybody listening to this, that we would go to work and do our work with such excellence, such sacrifice and mercy and love that people are clamoring to ask us to give a reason for the hope that is within us, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jordan. Honor having you on the program today. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Brian. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. 
Thanks again for listening. 